you know, uh, in the past few weeks, if we, if we look at what we've looked at already, we've looked at the life of Joseph. And then um, on Good Friday, we saw the, we looked at the scapegoats. Uh, our Easter sunrise, uh, Louis spoke into uh, Abram and Isaac and that, that whole story. And then last Sunday, Ryan spoke to us about Jesus being the, the true manna, the, the bread from heaven that truly satisfies. So today we're continuing and today I'm speaking on Melchizedek. Why don't you say to the person next to you, Melchizedek, quite an unusual name. And you know, uh, Melchizedek was a priest and you know, when I mentioned the word priest, I wonder, you know, as a kid, if you mentioned the word priest, I would get this picture in my mind of a, a guy with a black shirt on and a back, back to front white collar, or, or perhaps he, he wore this hood with a cross on it and this fancy robe and he swung incense, you know, that's what I used to think a priest was. And, uh, but today it's going to be very interesting to see what the word of God, the biblical perspective of a priest now, I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in a court case, but um, in my younger years, I got drawn into a court battle with someone. And up until that time, I just really was oblivious to what the laws of our land said. I mean, I, I knew the law was there. I knew I had to stop at a stop street or <laughs> not steal something. I, I knew that was kind of my knowledge of the law. I was totally oblivious to the laws of our land. And in fact, I wasn't really interested in that kind of stuff, even, even though at one time I did have a friend whose dad was a lawyer, but that was kind of my involvement with the law up until that stage. But when, um, when I got the summons to, to go to court and I had to contact a lawyer, had to contact a lawyer, it was like I stepped into a whole new world. I mean, you know, I just didn't realize what goes on there. Um, the lawyers briefed me concerning my case, um, and they, we had a lot of discussion of what the law said and how we were going to progress forward with the case. And I also saw that lawyers negotiate with each other even, and they reason with you, and they try and reason with each other. So it was a real education for me. But it was during this time that certain verses in the Bible actually, uh, you, know, you know, it's amazing when you go through some stuff, how you see things from a different perspective, even in the Word. And I was reading the Word one day, and I saw, oh, God is a judge. <laughs> God is a judge, and we have an advocate. We have an advocate, advocate with the Father, the Bible says. His name is Jesus Christ. And so then I realized that even though... <laughs> Countries, every country has their own legal system and way of doing things. So, too, the kingdom of God has a legal system and a way of doing things as, as well, well. And principles, our Heavenly Father has also put certain principles in there, in the word that we need to live by. Now, one of the stipulations that God put in place when it came to his people was that priests had to be appointed to represent them. And church, why was this necessary? Why did God want priests to represent his people? Well, it's because if you look at God and, and the Bible from the beginning of creation, God has always wanted relationship with his people. He, church, he wants us. He wants to be with us. He wants to do life with us. And so um, this is why he put this in place, because of sin. 
You know, when, when he walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden, he had such an intimate relationship with them. He did life with them, but then they spent daily in his presence. They, they lived in the glory of God. But then, unfortunately, we know that sin came. And with sin came death, and, 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 and the world became, was put under a curse. But another thing that happened was that, man, we lost our relationship and our closeness with God. And so God had to cater for this. I think one of the most tragic verses in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, and it says this. Talking to when, when he was looking for Adam and Eve, he says to them, says, then the Lord God called, out, called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Can you hear the desperate cry of God in those words? Adam, where are you? I, I wanted to walk and talk with you in the garden today, but you were nowhere to be found. Where are you, Adam? I want to be with you. Yes, church, after the curse and after sin came, God had to cater for this problem of, of that our relationship with God was, was not the same anymore. And so we also read of God giving the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And when God is, established the covenant with the Jews, he chose one family to act as priests. It was Aaron's tribe. It was the, the, uh, Aaron had to, his family had to uh, act as a priest. In addition, his tribe, the Levites. So that's why we get the book of Leviticus in the Bible, because the book of Leviticus was written to instruct the, the, the Levitical priests on how to perform their duties, how to perform their service. It was a book of legislative laws, God's order of doing things for the priests. And so these priests called Levites were appointed to serve in God's temple so that God could still have relationship with his people. Now, among the priests, there was a high priest, and every high priest was chosen by God from among the people, and they were appointed to, you know, just act on behalf of men in things relating to God. They had to represent the people before God. For instance, like we took up the tithes and offerings today, they, they, they wouldn't do it like that. They would bring their offerings to the priests, and the priests would you know, offer that to God. And also it was sacrifices as well. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And because a high priest was subject to human weakness, he was just a human being like you and I. He had to offer sacrifices for, for people's sins and also for his own sins. So that, that was part of his duty as well. An example of this was on the Day of Atonement, and I know Luzon mentioned that in her sermon on the scapegoat, but on this day, among other things, the priests in charge would give an animal sacrifice for, for, for the forgiveness of people's sins, and he then would take some blood, which is a symbol of death, and we can put that picture up, there it is. He would take some blood, which is a symbol of death, from that sacrifice and enter the small cubicle where God dwelt in a special way. It was called the Holy of Holies. Now, there he would display the blood symbolically. In, you know, between the two cherubim, there was a mercy seat. He would display the blood there. Um, and this, this would demonstrate that the sacrifice had been given, a life had ended, implying that the wages of sin, which is death, had been paid for. Now, only the high priest could go into that cubicle. 
If anyone else went in there, that was where the presence of God was. And he only went in there once a year. He could only go in there once a year. And if anybody else went in there, they were struck down dead immediately. Also, if he, were, if he did not follow, if the high priest did not follow God's um, kind of instructions exactly, he would also die when he went in there. So we see through this how difficult it was to approach God and to come into his presence in the Old Testament. And at the same time, it shows that we need a, a priest to present, you know, that we need a priest to represent us as sinners before God. But when you look at the Levitical priesthood, we, we see that it did not bring perfection or completeness. You see, the, the priests had no moral or spiritual qualifications to pass before they became priests. The only requirement for the Aaronic priesthood was that the priest must be able to trace his ancestry back to Aaron. So it was basically passed on from father to son, from generation to generation. Now, this is evident if you look at some of those who served as priests because we, we read in the Bible that God struck down dead two of the sons of Aaron for using improper methods of worship. And he also condemned the immoral acts of the sons of Eli, the, the, the priest Eli, because they were turning the tabernacle into a brothel, believe it or not. So we see that in this priesthood church, there were flaws in the system. Firstly, the priests were human beings and, you know, the, the priesthood changed, changed as, as people came and went. And as they did, you had different characters leading the priesthood. Some of them served God completely and some of them didn't. So some of them were great and some of them were not so great. And secondly, some of the human priests were corrupt. As I said earlier, you just need to look no further than Hophni and Phinehas, the Two sons of Eli, they both died on the same, they all died on the same day, actually, after that. But you only need to look at them to see corruption. They were sexually immoral and they were also stealing the offerings. They were stealing some of the meat of the offerings. So they were really corrupt. And then also, human beings, thirdly, human beings die. Human priests die. They are temporary. They can only serve God's people as long as they are alive. But once they pass away, um, they can no longer be of help to God's people. So church, this is why we see, because the, the Levitical priesthood was flaws, flawed, we are looking for a solution to this today. We are looking for an Easter egg in the Old Testament that can fix this dilemma of a flawed priesthood. And there's not much mention, amazingly, today we're looking at real treasure because there's not much mention of it in the Old Testament. In fact, there's only two times it's mentioned. So, you know, the solution to the flawed priesthood. And the first mention of it, let's see if we can find these Easter eggs in, in, in this today. The first mention of it is in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. And it says this, after Abram returned from his victory over Kedorlaomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Woo, we're looking at something here. 
Melchizedek blessed Abram with, a, with his blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. I think there's quite a few hidden Easter eggs in these verses. Let's, let's break it down. Firstly, this passage introduces us to a rather obscure Old Testament figure named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, we can see here he's a priest, but yet he's a priest here right in the first chapter of, 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 of the Bible, of Genesis, uh, the 14th chapter, the first book of, of the Bible. And yet the Levitical priesthood was only formed 500 years after this incident. So church, this is very interesting to me. And so this incident occurred roughly in, in, in 2000 BC, but the priesthood referred to in Leviticus was set up in the 1400s BC. So obviously this man was a priest in some order other than the Levitical priesthood. And this unusual man, he meets the great patriarch Abraham. One day as Abraham is returning with the booty he has won from a battle with some enemy troops, and there some very brief but interesting things occur. Firstly, we see that he brings Abram bread and wine. Now, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And Salem, the city he ruled, is a Greek form of the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. So he's the king of, of peace, all right? Now, since King David's time, Salem has been known to us as Jerusalem. Very interesting. So in the first mention of bread and wine in the Bible, we have the king of righteousness, priest of the most high God, and king of the city of peace, offering Abraham bread and wine, with whom God was creating a covenant that would bless all mankind. This certainly reminds us of the new covenant meal that Jesus instituted at the Last Supper, but we'll look more into that. And then notice verse 19, it says that Melchizedek blesses Abram. Now, according to biblical practices, this means that both Melchizedek and Abraham realized that of the two of them, Melchizedek had greater stature. For, for instance, fathers will always bless their sons. You don't, in the Bible, you don't get sons blessing their fathers. And so, you know, Yet, while Abraham apparently viewed Melchizedek as greater, he was himself probably the greatest name in the Old Testament. I mean, think of it. He was the father of the Jews. He was the father of all the great men of God that came after him. So when we realize how great Abraham was in the Old Testament, it's hard to understand that Melchizedek was even much greater. And in addition, in verse 20, we see that Abram gives a tithe of his goods to Melchizedek. That means that he sees Melchizedek as his priest. So both this blessing and tithe point to the same thing, that the, the great stature of this man. He stands as a priest at a time where there were no priests, and he holds a stature greater than the patriarch Abraham. And, you know, when you think about it, we are finding some real hidden treasure here as this short incident proves to us that there is a priesthood which is wholly outside of the Jewish people. 
After all, Abraham was the only living Jew at the time the story occurred. And then the second time we find Melchizedek mentioned in the Old Testament is Psalm 110 verse 4, but I want to read the first four verses of it and then we'll see. It says this, King David, by the way, wrote this psalm and he says this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments, and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. Now it comes. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Wow, so many hidden treasures in these verses, church. And when King David says here, the Lord said to my Lord, the first Lord in the Hebrew is the name Yahweh. So he could have said Yahweh said to, and the second one is Adonai. Now, Adonai was a term, is one of the three common names of God, more common names of God in in the Old Testament. And it could also be used in the cases of, of a ruler. But, if, but here, David himself, who was an absolute monarch, he's referring to this. Who would he call his Adonai? Well, the answer is the Messiah. This is known by the early rabbis and by the New Testament. This psalm is known as a messianic psalm, and it's a prophetic psalm describing what the Father will do for the Son. So isn't it amazing that with one mention of Melchizedek in 2000 BC, three verses long, and another in 1000 BC, which was more or less when the psalm was written, one verse long, we find this hidden treasure of God raising up a different priesthood. And church, why is this necessary? Why is it necessary to search for the truths of this huge hidden Easter egg? Why do we need a new high priest after the order of Melchizedek? Why? And how do we gain access to to what he has to offer? Well, let's go over to the New Testament to unwrap this whole, the, the answer. And in the New Testament, now there's eight places where, eight mentions of Melchizedek. So there's much more mention of Melchizedek in the New Testament So let's look at some of those verses mentioned. And I'm reading firstly from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. It says this, So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, he's saying, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek, has appeared. Jesus. Jesus, church. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot 
be destroyed. So firstly, church, we need a new priesthood because we see here that Jesus' priesthood is indestructible. Say that to the person next to you. Jesus' priesthood is indestructible. You see, the Father promises the Messiah that he will be a priest according to the higher order of Melchizedek. And this eliminates a problem because the Old Testament priests came from the, 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 the Levitical order and Jesus, as we read here, from the tribe of Judah. And he is a priest by life that cannot be destroyed. In other words, he is a priest forever, as no one is to take over when he leaves, as he will always be there. That's why he could tell us he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus' priesthood doesn't depend on a succession of priests, one after another. You see, the whole Levitical priesthood was predicated on death. You know, the, the one would serve and then he would die and another one would step up and take his place and then he would die and then another one would step into his place. But Jesus' priesthood doesn't depend on human frailty. There's no plan of succession in the order of Melchizedek. Secondly, we need a new high priest because Jesus' priesthood I'm so excited now, is the perfect sacrifice. Let's have a look at it in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. It says, so Christ has now become the high priest of all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, church, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Says under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself as, to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, when Jesus died, what happened? Well, he entered the holy of holies in heaven. And there in the presence of God, he placed his own blood on the altar and he made atonement for his people. You see, that is why when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, part of our Easter story, what happened is that that veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. It didn't even rip from bottom to top to, to show how, that it could only have been God who ripped it. But, and it signified that the way was made open now into the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could only come once a year, and if he came wrongly, he was struck down dead. That curtain tore, signifying that we as, as believers, as, if we are part of the sacrifice of Jesus and we put our faith in him, we can freely come into the presence of God. We can freely come into the Holy of Holies. See, with the old priesthood, they had to offer sacrifices over and over again. Every year, it had to be done. But when Jesus did it, he did it once and for all. It never has to be done again. And because Jesus was sinless, 
His blood was a perfect sacrifice. And it tells us here that it's much more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats. I mean, think about it, church, today. If animal blood could cleanse their bodies, the people's bodies from ceremonial impurity, how much more powerful today is the blood of Jesus? His blood is so powerful that it can purify and cleanse us. I want to say today, if you are struggling with sin, I want you to know today that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to cleanse you and set you free. And if you are wondering today if you can be forgiven, think about it. That If the blood of an animal could offer them forgiveness in the Old Testament, how much more powerful is God's forgiveness today through the blood of Jesus? His blood removes the stain of sin from our lives. He cleanses us from the inside out. There's power in the blood of Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice, church, and we can praise him for that today. And thirdly, we need a new high priest because Jesus' priesthood offers us the new covenant. It says in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Aren't you glad you're alive in the New Testament times? I am really. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. So you see, Jesus' high priest ministry is far superior to what the Old Testament priests do because he's, he's ministering from heaven's throne room, from the holy of holies in heaven. And you know, he, he's put a whole new legal system in place. That's why he would say at the Last Supper before he died, this is the new covenant in my blood. So he, was, he changed, the, the whole legal system changed. And under the new covenant, you are forgiven, you are, you, you are put into a right relationship with God when you put your faith in him, and you're no longer then saved by trying to keep the law. You are now saved by putting your faith in Christ, your high priest, to save you. And church, how do we access this indestructible, perfect sacrifice under the new covenant? Well, it tells us in Hebrews 4 how we access it. It tells us from verses 14 to 16, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So firstly, how do we gain access? Say to the person next to you, come boldly to the throne. You see, you don't have to grovel to come, even though I don't think we sometimes realize what Jesus did for us, guys. You know, in the Old Testament, they couldn't come. Only the high priest now Every one of us can come boldly into that Holy of Holies, right into the throne room. The center of the power of the universe is ours. We can come in there anytime we want to. Uh, with any of our problems, we are allowed to come. Know today that, that as 
an eternal high priest. Jesus is always available to intercede for his people. And so you can bring your struggles to him, church. You're not alone. You have a high priest. Maybe you woke up this morning and you were ready. Your emotions were all over the place and you felt so overwhelmed and you felt depression hanging over you. Or, or maybe as a family you're going through real trauma with the loss of a loved one. Or, or maybe it's the loss of a job or the betrayal of a friend. Can I tell you today that you can bring this to your high priest? He doesn't want us to carry the stress and anxiety of what the world throws at us. We are supposed to bring these things to our high priest. He is our mediator. He is the one who fights our case before the Father. And he always intercedes for us. You have an intercessor. His name is Jesus. He's interceding for you probably right now. And you come knowing that he understands us. He was human like you and I. He knows what it's like to struggle with weaknesses. He knows what it's like to hurt. He had his heart broken by betrayal and desertion. He knows the feeling of pain and grief and agony. So when you come to him and you're going through these things, know that you have the perfect high priest. And it tells us that we approach the heavenly throne room we come holding firmly to what we believe. We believe that we are allowed to come in there. We don't come in groveling and full of guilt and shame. You just come in there. You're allowed to. You can come in day by day, minute by minute if you need to, whenever you want to. His presence is now available to every one of us. And secondly, church, how do we gain access? Well, we receive his mercy. And for those of you today, that feel your life is just one big mess, one big failure. I want to say to you today, don't stay there. Come to your high priest and tell him how you are feeling. You can confess the wrong turns you have taken and then receive mercy. Won't you say to the person next to you, mercy is what gets you out of trouble. You see, God, with mercy, somebody once said to me, Grace gives us what we don't deserve, and mercy gives us, doesn't give us what we do deserve, <laughs> if you can figure that out. But anyway, we deserve punishment, but we come, we know, Lord, I've blown it now, I've made a mess. You come to him as your high priest. What does he do? He, he gives you mercy. He says we must come and receive mercy. And you know, mercy can get you out of that mess. When you come to him, and receive his mercy. There is a way out. That's our way out, church. That is our way out. We can come boldly to the throne and receive his mercy. And thirdly, how do we gain access? Say to the person next to you, discover his grace. You see, there's another amazing gift you will receive from your, your heart priest when you come. It tells us that we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And what is grace? Well, it's God's unmerited favor. In other words, you don't deserve the favor, but he gives it to you. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. And when it says here, grace to help us, you know that word help in the Greek actually means urgent help. Urgent help. So we could read it like this. We will find grace to urgently help us when we need it. And it also is often used as re reinforcing a ship in a storm. Wow, what's your storm today, church? 
Where are you struggling? Where are you feeling weak and battered in the storm? Well, God can grace you with new strength. Your high priest will give, reinforce your life. He will give you the reinforcement that you need. Sure, and I'm just seeing a picture now as I'm, I'm saying this. I see some of you, you feel so weak in your legs. It's like spiritually you're kind of almost buckling. And I see like him putting, you know, when you put these uh, reinforcement on your legs like braces, um, I see God starting to, I see a man here today, you are just buckling down. You're really buckling down. And God is sending you reinforcement right now. Won't you just bring it to him? He's going to reinforce your life. You're going to be amazed. You're going to stand firm. I see him raising you up and you're going to stand firm because he will send you that reinforcement. Or maybe it's an inner struggle. Maybe you're struggling with jealousy or anger issues or, um, you know, an inferiority complex. Maybe you're a kid here today and you're struggling with your schoolwork. Do you know that God can grace you with the ability to be clever? <laughs> he can, his grace can make you clever. I've seen that. I've seen that in many people. His unmerited favor can come on your children. Come to the throne room. Give it to God. He, he will grace you with new strength. He can grace you with the ability to overcome every struggle. Don't sit there and say, ah, it's never going to work. Listen, his grace is sufficient for you, church. He can grace you with the ability to overcome. His grace is enough. And it's even through his grace that we are saved and delivered. So we can come boldly to the throne room. We can receive his mercy and we can find grace to help us where we need it most. We have a great high priest. He's rooting for you today, church. You don't have to fail or stress or give up. Won't you say to the person next to you, heaven is on your side. So there it is, church. Our powerful, awesome God who wants a relationship with us, who desires to be with us, has provided us a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a priest who is indestructible, a priest who is the perfect sacrifice for us, and a priest who offers us the new covenant. And because Jesus is there as our priest, we can come boldly right into the Holy of Holies, right into the throne room. We can receive his mercy and we can find the grace we, we need to help us when we need it most. This new priesthood is a priceless treasure that we have unwrapped, a huge hidden egg from the Old Testament. So today you have a bookmark under your chair. I want you now with a pencil, I want you now to pick it up and I want you to get ready, turn it around and you'll see there my needs are. I want you to, to turn it around and I want you to get ready to bring some things to your high priest. Are you finding it there? There's some spare bookmarks here in the front if, if anybody doesn't have. And so what, as you prepare, I want to ask you, where do you need his mercy? Where's your life today a big mess or failure? For those of you who've taken a wrong turn, I want you to write it down as a symbol that you are bringing it to his throne. There's power in our confession. 
Won't you just write it down as a symbol that you are bringing it to his throne and know that he paid a great price to deliver you from that. As a child of God, you do not have to stay in that. And secondly, where are you feeling weak today? What is your struggle? What are the internal struggles that you are going through? Is it, is it maybe anger issues or whatever, whatever bondage that you're struggling with in your life? I want to say some of you, it's worry. I see stress and worry and you need to, I want you to write that down. Again, as an acknowledgement that you are bringing that area to him and you are going to receive his grace to help you. And after you've written it down, I just want you to lay your hands on that because we're going to pray. I'm just going to give you a minute. He's getting ready to deliver some of you today, church. You don't have to fail. You don't have to be in, in failure. He's going to turn it around as you bring it to his throne room. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just want to praise you today that we have a great high priest that has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Father, we thank you that you became a human being like us, Jesus, that you went through all the struggles that, and the battles, Father God. You, Jesus, you know exactly, exactly what we go through. You understand our weakness. And Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you for that today. And Father, I just, as your people are writing down these things, I, I pray for them right now. I pray that we bring these things before your throne. We're coming right into the Holy of Holies right now, Father. We're coming right to the throne room. And Jesus, we're looking into your eyes as our high priest. And we're bringing these things to you, Father. And we're saying, Lord, will you help us? Will you Will you give us mercy in this situation, Father? I pray for those of your, your people that have made some bad choices and made some wrong turns, Father God, as they bring this sin before you. I thank you for your mercy that is coming on them right now and delivering them from this, Father. And Lord, I, I pray for those who are struggling, Jesus struggling with weakness, struggling with sin, struggling with anger and jealousy and inferiority. Maybe it's even pornography that they're struggling with or whatever it is, Lord. We, I thank you that we can come again and just acknowledge that you are our high priest. And we, we, we lay it on the throne, Father God. We lay it down before you. And Father, I thank you that your delivering power is coming into those situations right now because we have that authority to come boldly to you, Jesus, and that you are our high priest. You are fighting our case. And I thank you that you are turning those situations around right now, that you are causing us to triumph, that you are gracing us with the overcoming power and with the victory and the breakthrough and the wisdom we need. In Jesus' name, amen.